Okay, while you're kind of filtering in, um, good morning again and welcome. Um, I don't want to say anything about the cake back there. That's Somebody, okay because you don't have to. Can you do that? To. Please, yes. thank you. Good morning, everyone. For those of you, uh, I'm Steve Oatman, by the way, and on behalf of the Board of Elders and our congregation, today's a special day. I actually learned this morning that pastor's vocation literally began in a strip mall in Bryant, Arkansas, with a pizza joint right next door. Make sure you say those words slowly, strip mall. Exactly. Don't, don't run them correct. together. That is correct. That, that would not bode well for my upcoming years. I appreciate that. Your lovely bride has uh, baked a cake back there, and there's a number one five on the top of it. So occasionally, believe it or not, we old school Missouri Synod Lutherans do clap. And this is an occasion for applause because today is the 15th anniversary of the ordination of Pastor McKay, who was ordained in Bryant, Arkansas. So Pastor. Thank you. Thanks be to God. On behalf of those you've served for the past 15, and on behalf of all of us who are very thankful to have you here for who knows how many years that's going to bring, thank you for your service uh, in God's Word, and thank you for uh, letting us take a little bit of time out of Bible study this morning to appreciate you on this day of your ordination, 15th anniversary. So thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, a couple other things uh, going on this week. On Friday, um, our own Pastor Grady and his wonderful wife, Deb, will be traveling down to Florida. Uh, Saturday, which would be the 20th, if my dates are correct, is the start of our triennial uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Convention. Um, and so Pastor Grady has been um, elected, appointed, um, made to go. Um, no, it, it, it's a, it, it, the convention is a wonderful, if you've never experienced a Missouri Senate convention, which is like a gigantic voters meeting, um, <laughs> so you know what I mean, it, it has wonderful things and it has other head-banging experiences are, are the other part of it. But it's pretty neat when, when Lutherans all gather together uh, and uh, so um, you guys are going to have a great time down there. Make sure you get some time away. When you spend a lot of time on the convention floor, it gets very draining, um, your brain and sometimes emotions. Um, I think the convention this year should be pretty tame. Um, I've looked through most of the resolutions. We don't have anything that's too crazy. There have been some events leading up to this convention um, that some of you, if you follow some of the Missouri Synod uh, news, are aware of. But... Uh, I don't think we officially announced this before, but President Harrison has been reelected. Uh, thanks be to God for that. So let's, that's fine. Yep, let's clap. Um, so uh, things will uh, not only continue, but uh, pr pray for him for wisdom, insight, and uh, maybe the wherewithal to, uh, you know, continue to address some things that maybe haven't always been addressed just yet. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough, I would never wish an elected position in the Missouri Senate upon any of my good friends, okay? Um, and so uh, it's, it's, it's hard work. It's important work, though. We have to recognize that. So somebody has to do it. And, uh, you know, leading the Missouri Senate is like, some people have compared it to like driving a big ship or a tanker on the ocean. Um, I refer to it as herding cats. 
Um, so, <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, so blessings on that experience. Thank you for uh, uh, being willing and agreeing to do that, Pastor Grady. Um, you're going to have a great time. Um, and anybody have any questions about the convention that he or I can answer for you or come back to later? Does anybody have any questions about anything going on in the Senate? I thought it might be good before we send him off. If there's anything that's important to you that you feel needs to be addressed or he can talk to the powers that be. Um, yes? The uh, question was, are there any major topics uh, that are going to come up uh, in, in convention that we should be aware of? Um, I have skimmed over everything, and I have not seen anything that I thought was that important for us to spend time in Bible class to address. Is that fair? <laughs> now, what you can do if you are interested, and I would encourage you to do this. If you go to lcms.org, if you are interested in some of the various things that come forward, go to lcms.org. Uh, and you can look at, um, you know, you can actually look at everything that's been, you know, proposed. Now, now, the one thing that I always have to explain to people is that, you know, so say Advent Evangelical Lutheran Church in Zionsville, Indiana, say that we at our voters, meaning pass a resolution that uh, every Missouri Synod church should have blue carpet. Uh, just, just bear with me here. I'm not serious, of course, all right? And we feel strongly that that every church should have blue carpet. And so we, we propose that resolution, we properly cite it and support it with biblical <coughs> evidence and whatever, and we send that on, okay? So then uh, now what happens is, is, it's kind of a twofold way. One is that that will go through your district that you're in, so there's 35 districts. So then at the English district, then they'll say, hey, Advent Lutheran Church has this resolution, da-da-da-da, and they'll take a vote, all in favor, uh, yay, and they'll, they'll send it on. They'll kick it on to the Synod Convention. You got it? So just think kind of council, board, committee structure. That's just a microcosm of how Synod really works as a whole. Once that gets to Synod, before it actually gets to the convention floor, it's got to go through a committee. And so most of these resolutions, when they go to the committee, you know, they'll kind of take maybe two out of 20, right? Um, and sometimes there's some pretty crazy and harebrained resolutions. Okay, maybe not blue carpet, but some very much like blue carpet, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so if you've ever served on one of those committees, it, it, it's, it's kind of fun and enjoyable, and it's also kind of, are you serious, really? Somebody actually wrote this and put this together, but... You know, that's like dealing with crazy Uncle Ed in your family who always asks you to pull his finger at every family gathering or whatever. So, you know, we love each other. We bear with one another in love. Um, so then if that gets to the convention floor, so the committee then says, we're going to allow this to get there. And that's part of the checks and balances. In that sense, it's a good thing. The problem then becomes is who's in charge of the committees. So say you've got some people that they're really gung-ho about blue carpet in every congregation. And they're the elected leaders. What are they going to do? They're going to let that resolution go to it. So the Missouri Synod, boy, if you like politics, you need to get involved in the church. <laughs> but, you know, because it, it's, really, it's really not too much different than that. So, um, but it, like I said, it, it is very important work. So I don't, I don't want to minimize that in any way. So um, yeah, any other questions? But you go to lcms.org. There's a convention link. And you can follow that. 
Um, one thing that would be helpful if you have time each day, there will be a summary called Today's Business that it will be published at the end of each day. So if you kind of want to see what Pastor Grady and the rest of the delegates are voting on, you can look at that, things they wrestled with. Um, the only hot topics I think that are going to come up, and I think they've already been addressed, one is uh, what happened with our property in Hong Kong, um, and uh, two, possibly the sale of uh, Concordia in Selma, Alabama. We no longer have a Concordia down there, okay? Uh, but they were like two and a half million dollars in the hole, and it was going to be even more to do that. The Hong Kong thing, things are changing over in Hong Kong, as many of you that follow um, world politics will understand a little bit. Um, and uh, so save some money. The money from Concordia Selma, Alabama actually all went into the Concordia University system. And if you've read any of your reporter, all that debt is now paid down. We've had a big debt hanging around our neck from our Concordias, and that's, that's all paid off now. So thanks be to God for that. Uh, is there still work to do at our Concordias? Yes, there are. Uh, and this week, actually, I will be on campus doing college visits with all of our boys in tow. I will be up at Mequon, uh, which is my alma mater. Uh, and then I will be at, uh, in Chicago, at Concordia University Chicago. And our own uh, uh, Mrs. Shelley Kazmerzak sits on the board there. Um, and Board of Regents, I believe it is. And then we will also be visiting Concordia University Ann Arbor. So, so I'll be on campus of three Concordias uh, this, uh, this week. So, okay. Any other questions or anything that I'm missing? Or Yeah, Pastor Grady, I should give you an opportunity to... Oh, no, this is different. Um, give us an update on uh, Peace and Hastings. And I think uh, friend and brother, oh, you're thank you for asking. that call. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. And thanks for all your prayers. So, many of you have asked how that call process is going. And, and, uh, and, I, and I greatly appreciate that. You know, when you, when you serve a congregation, they become your family. And so this week, as, as people had kind of been texting, emailing me, and I ended up putting a little thing on Facebook together just to kind of get it all taken care of uh, with pictures and summary, um, uh, the, um, oh, now I lost my train of thought because you got me starting to think about, you just, you, you just really learn to love people. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that fair? And they become your family. I mean, your church family becomes your extended family. And I've, I've been, I think I said in my Facebook post that I have been privileged to serve uh, three wonderful congregations who love God's word. So you're the third, so pat yourselves on the back. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy, content, and, and blessed, uh, and uh, see lots of wonderful challenges still ahead of us in a good way. Um, so, um, yeah, so Peace Hastings, uh, they called... First pastor they called was just a couple months after I left. So that would have been January or February. Um, and that actually was a high school classmate of mine, Reverend Ryan Went. Uh, who's, anybody know Ryan, Pastor Went? He was a, a Fort Wayne grad. He graduated Fort Wayne Seminary same year that I graduated St. Louis. Uh, um, and uh, a, a good guy, good pastor. Uh, but he's been up there now for a while, and uh, just he loves it up there. He's a big hunter and fisherman, so I don't think Southern Nebraska could hold a candle uh, to uh, Billings, Montana. And uh, so he returned the call. Uh, so and then they called. Um, oh boy, uh, oh, I met him at a at a conference. Dead. I'm not even going to say it because I'm going to get the name wrong. He's a pastor in North Dakota, uh, a dual parish, and. Uh, North Dakota is a good place to be a pastor right now, especially if you're young. 
um, because their, their, their pay scale is off the charts because they have a hard time getting pastors anyway. And so if you're a young pastor with kids, it's a good place to be. And most of North Dakota is pretty conservative anyway. Uh, so that should probably tell you enough. He was really interested in Peace Hastings, but it would have been a severe uh, salary cut, and he was just happy where he was at. So that was their second call. Good, good guy. He's been on issues, et cetera. I can't remember his name. Yeah, it'll come to me later. Third call then went to uh, Pastor Micah Gaunt. Anybody know Pastor Gaunt? He'd be a St. Louis grad, so you wouldn't, you know, that would be a little further southeast of us. Uh, he was a, a high school teacher at Lutheran High School down in uh, Houston, Texas, then went back to seminary, and uh, he's been a dual parish in Ravenna and Shelton, Nebraska for the last eight or nine years. Um, I know him. He's a good friend of mine. I kind of, he was kind of a a younger pastor that I kind of took under my wings way back when, and uh, he's really good. So I'm really happy for Peace Hastings, and uh, he's bringing eight kids with him into the parsonage. So the first pastor had uh, two, the next pastor had three, they were all boys, mind you, and then we showed up, so I was the third pastor at Peace Hastings in 60 years, which that's pretty good, right? And, uh, and we had four boys. And so now there's going to be girls <laughs> in the parsonage. I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, thanks for asking. So installation is August 10th, I think it is. And um, I thought about trying to go back for that, but I will have been in Nebraska the week before for the ACELC conference, uh, which is, is maybe something else. Does this thing work up here, Pastor? Oh, it does. Look at that. Uh, if you're curious about that, some of you, when you did research on me way before you called me, acelc.net. Just go to that website, and you can read and learn a little bit about that. Um, it's kind of an organization I've been involved in, and we really haven't really talked too much about that. That would be something we can work with down the road, but good stuff. And I was asked to present a paper on Mission Planters Institute, uh, which uh, what I, is what I was trained for right out of seminary. So my first church was a mission plant, uh, as, uh, <laughs> as uh, Steve said, which was in the middle of a strip mall. Uh, when I showed up, 35 people, we were stuck between a, a pizza place and a candy store, and we couldn't have church or meetings at night because the pizza place had a game room. And the game room with the ski ball and the basketball was against the same wall that our altar was. And so we couldn't do anything at church at night. So we had this little tiny space that had maybe 50 chairs in it, 35 people in the congregation. And um, I'll save some of this later on because you'll, you'll enjoy hearing a little bit of that history. But when I get my paper done for my presentation, I'll take one uh, Bible class and, and read that to you here between now and August 5th or whatever that is, okay? So in the next few weeks. So I got to get that paper done. Okay, any questions? We kind of jumped around there. Anything else? Pastor Grady, was that good? Did I say what I need to say? All right. Okay, let's study, shall we? The Lord be with you. O Lord, grant that the course of this world may be so peaceably ordered by your governance that your church may joyfully serve you in all godly quietness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, now I had a bookmark here. Where did it go? Okay, we are on page 64. 
And I want to just uh, read the paragraph that we ended with uh, last week. So we're on page 64 of uh, the sainted uh, Professor Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People. A couple of people have asked about ordering this book. If you need help, uh, just uh, call the church office or stop by. We can get it ordered for you. You can go to Amazon.com or it's published by cph.org. Okay? And there is a Kindle edition, so if you like to read it on your iPad uh, or Kindle Reader, anything like that, um, I read a lot of books that way um, just because my shelves are getting full. Okay, so let's, uh, let's review this uh, paragraph we finished with last week. This discussion of the right kind or quality of the Christian's motivation must not be confused, however, with the demand for perfection in degree or quantity. Right? So we've been talking about the sanctified life and talking about good works, and that really dovetails nicely into our scripture text for today. So if you're at early service, you know, go home and meditate on those this week. If you're at late service, as I always tell you, just wait for it, you'll get it, okay? This latter easily becomes an excuse to do nothing at all. So some people would say this, well, the Holy Spirit's at work. And some people would say that about good works. We don't need to talk about good works as Lutherans because the Holy Spirit's going to do it. Except the Holy Spirit is given you look down. Do you have feet and toes? Do you have arms and legs? Well, guess what? You're also not a puppet, right? You're not, you're not a puppet. And, and, and so it's important to kind of keep this in mind. The Lord, it's kind of like with prayer. I remember having this discussion. My wife really wrestled with this. And if she was here, she'd be nodding her head. So it's okay that I'm telling you this. I'm not betraying confidence. She really struggled for many years with prayer. God already knows everything. He knows everything. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows my needs. He promises to provide for me. Why should I pray? Is that a fair question? I think that's a really good question. You know, I mean, I married a wise woman. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I married way out of my class, right? <laughs> so why pray? God already knows everything. And he promises he's going to give me what I need. So fair question. Well, let me rephrase it this way. He asks you to pray. See, that's different. Praying doesn't earn you anything, right? You're not earning anything by praying, but it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, my wife comes to me and, and Nisa says, um, hey, honey, the tire is low on the van. Would you fix it for me? And, and what does the, the new saint in me and the husband who loves my wife and knows she travels on the road, what am I going to do to that tire and why? I'm going to go fix it. Why? Because I don't want her to have, be broken down somewhere in, in Indianapolis as she's driving around. Okay? And then the other part of me is like, I know how much tires cost, and if I fix it now, maybe that'll prevent more expenses from coming down the road. But you do it out of love. And so when God asks you to pray, you pray because he wants to talk with you. And the new saint in you wants, you naturally want to. So what I had to do with my wife is I had to appeal to the saint in her. Okay? And then after that, she's like, oh, yeah. Okay? So I don't really ask her much anymore. I mean, I don't know what your prayer life is like. But I would simply say this to you. If any of you are married, you know how important it is to communicate. You know how important it is not just to listen to what your spouse is saying, but also to share with them what's going on with you here and here, right? Sometimes they'll pick up on it, but not everything. You need to communicate. Yes, God already knows everything, but let me tell you, He invites you 
to participate in a relationship that you might say is two-way, where you get to share with him, and he speaks to you. And make sure you, you, you pay attention to where he's speaking, which is word and sacrament, and not, you know, your dreams in the middle of the night or whatever, or the picture of Jesus showing up on your toast when it pops out in the morning. Okay. Any questions on that? So Marquardt goes on, therefore, if one is tired or generally out of sorts on Sunday morning, one reasons like this, I'd better not go to church today because I just don't really feel like it, right? Uh, but, but, but just go through the motions. If I did that, I'd be a hypocrite. So such thinking makes us now slaves to our moods. So, so we have to be careful here about our, our moods. So he goes on, behind it lies a deeper confusion. It is that of the miser who never gives more than 50 cents to church because he said, the Lord loves a cheerful giver and I can't be cheerful if I give any more than that. That's a good one. <laughs> the trouble is that the flesh or the old Adam in us never, never wants to do good. Never, ever, ever. Right? It's bound in sin. Inclination of a man's heart is evil all the time. Right? All have sinned, A-L-L, and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay. The new creation in us, on the other hand, is always anxious to please God and be of use to our fellow humans. And, and this is why there is a bitter civil war taking place within the soul of every Christian. Now, sometimes we forget this as parents with kids. We forget there's a civil war going on. Sometimes we forget as pastors there's a civil war going on within us. And sometimes just each individually as Christians, we get to the point where Hey, I've finally arrived. <laughs> Look at me. I'm so mature now. <laughs> wow, I've done really well. <laughs> and we forget that there's still that battle going on, I mean, within us, and until you die, right? I mean, Pastor and I have, have been with, with people, um, I mean, on their deathbeds, and I, I've marveled at some of the, 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 the people who just, I would say, godly saints. And... And yet, as they're faced with death, you know, you know, they know the gospel, they've received it, but yet they're still struggling with, it's the saving private, Rome, uh, saving private Ryan moment, you know, have I been good enough? Did I do good enough? You know, you know is, is God really going to save me and rescue me? Um, or I'm just such a sinner. Pastor, tell me one more time I'm forgiven, right? Let me have communion one last time. I had one person once that, that they started to get sick and... I mean, I think it was every other day I was taking communion out to them. I wasn't going to turn them down. They wanted it. They needed it. I was glad to give it. But eventually, a few days before they died, I sit down with them, and I had, to, I had to kind of kick them a little bit and say, okay, you know, why are you wanting communion this often? And, and, and it, was, it was a guilt thing. So it wasn't just a desire thing, and then I had to kind of correct that. And then, there was, and then there was this sense of peace, and I saw it expressed in their body. I mean, you can see people's body language, just the tension just goes. Because now, no matter what they know, I know my sheep, my sheep know me, no one can snatch them out of my hand, right? You are the Lord's, he's purchased and won you, your name is written in his, his book of life, okay? And that's why the doctrine of election is so important, okay? And it's, it's all gospel. It's all gospel of how you've been chosen, okay? Comments before we go on, Okay. So the inner conflict within believers must not be confused with the kind of struggles that philosophers and psychologists talk about. So we've got to be a little careful here with the uh, uh, id and the 
ego and the superego. Did I get that right? See how much I remember from my liberal arts education? Um, we also have to be careful just with Greek dualism, which has crept in. So we're, we're, we are definitely Westerners in many regards. For those of you that have traveled a little bit to Europe with our heritage tours, you probably recognize some of that, the difference, uh, especially Eastern Europe. Okay, so the inner conflict within believers must not be confused with the kind of struggles that philosophers and psychologists talk about. All people, not only Christians, must face conflicts between higher and lower faculties. And by faculties, we're not talking about a bunch of professors and teachers. Faculties is, is, is up here, the ability to understand your mental faculty, okay? Uh, or between crass self-seeking and, and a more altruistic posture. Such concerns are the stuff of good upbringing. But mere upbringing or pedagogy cannot do anything more with the flesh than rearranging, perfuming, and covering it up for a bit. For the flesh in the biblical sense does not mean simply body. Now pay attention to where he goes with this. So I want you to take what we've studied the last just few paragraphs and look at where Professor Marquardt goes with it. I think this is genius, okay, the connection that he's making here, okay? For the flesh in the biblical sense does not mean simply body, nor does its opposite spirit mean soul in this connection. Rather, before conversion, both body and soul are flesh, that is, sinful, dead, and spiritually corrupt. After the new birth into Christian faith, the new life or spirit embraces both body and soul. That's why St. Paul urges Christians to, Romans 12 verse 1, let's say it together, present their bodies as living sacrifices. So it's, it is, after all, too easy to think that one is offering the soul while the body snores away lazily. See the problem with this? This also, I want to make one more connection to you, and this didn't... <laughs> I was forced to study this really hard about seven or eight years ago. Um, and that was um, how we treat our body. So we would say, okay, God says, present your body as a living sacrifice, okay? So, I mean, you're, you're, you're free in the gospel. You can eat and drink what you want, but Scripture does talk about moderation. Um, so this is kind of sinner saint talk again, um, and Scripture talks about your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, and give me some other passages that would apply to the body that you've heard. What would be law that the sinful Adam in you needs to hear about your body? Those who get drunk, get drunk at night, right? I mean, you go on with that. How about sexuality? Okay. Uh, men lying uh, with other men as with women. I mean, it goes into a whole, those are all physical things. I mean, Scripture actually has a lot to say about, about your physical body. Now, you're free in the gospel, yes, but what does the new Adam in you want to do? Okay. So I've been so busy being a husband, dad, and selfish that I haven't taken very good care of my body the last 12 months. I've done nothing but put weight on. I haven't exercised as often as I used to. I haven't, you know, when I see, I, I'm on a seafood diet. I don't even have to tell you what that is, right? You know, and um, so now naturally I feel better. Everything is better when I'm exercising a little bit and eating healthy, you know, but the old Adam in me doesn't want to pay attention to any of that. The old Adam wants to think I'm still 25 years old and can eat whatever I want, and, it, and my metabolism is just crazy, and I can just do it all. I can't do that anymore, all right? And I've held off from going to see a doctor 
because I know what he's going to say, <laughs> right? <laughs> that cholesterol number and all that, oh, I don't want to hear it. Okay, you know where I'm going with this. So your body is important, and not only that, God cares for your body. So body and soul have been redeemed, you will get a new body, but God still asks you, this is kind of like prayer, I would say, to still kind of take care of your body, okay? Now, the only connection I'm going to make for you, and, and we'll co cover this at a later part, but the big poof moment for me was when I started to think about what happens when we get sick and when we die. How do we care for our bodies in sickness and in death? And how does what we choose to do with our bodies in sickness and in death show forth our faith? Now, I'm just going to drop that out there like a bombshell and let you think about that, okay? We're free, there's no question, right? But the Lord invites you to think and meditate on all these things, okay? Now we live in an age where there's plenty of states, you know, you don't want to suffer at all. There's ways around that, right? And as I talked about this morning, early service people, we want to push that as far as we can, don't we? I mean, we do. We want to take it as far as we can go, okay? So, I mean, I grew up on a farm. I know what we did with animals when they got sick, when they got a broken leg that couldn't be fixed, or dad couldn't pay the veterinarian to fix it, okay? I know exactly where the certain thing that was used to take care of that was kept in the house. What's different? So, I mean, so you start thinking about that. So your body has been redeemed by Christ, your physical body, and you will also get a new physical body yet when returns, but how do you care for that even in death? Pay attention to our hymns, which talk about, you know, opened-eyed, our grave is staring, you know, our saints that sleep in Jesus. I mean, there's just a lot of connections. I don't have easy answers for you, and I'm not, I'm not driving at one thing or the other, so don't, don't put words in my mouth. I'm just asking that you, you take time to think and pray about how important you are to your Father in heaven. And not just you, your soul, your spirit, you know, who you say you are, but also your body. Okay, and for those of you with low self-esteem issues, come talk to me. I'll give you a whole bunch of scripture because you're beautiful, man. <laughs> right? You are. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay? So don't let that old Adam kick you down. Okay. Questions, comments? Throw things at me. Not yet. Fifteen years is up, Steve. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, here we go. Back into the text. So after the new birth into Christian faith, the new life or spirit embraces both body and soul. That's why St. Paul urges Christians to present their bodies as living sacrifices. It is, after all, too easy to think that one is offering the soul while the body snores away lazily. Also among modern Christians, their, their spooks... Whoa, am I reading that? Are my glasses on right? Also among modern Christians, their... Spooks about the false idea. That's got to be speaks. Spooks? Oh, yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, spooks. Okay, I got it. I got it. I don't know how I missed that when I was prepping for this. There's spooks about the false idea. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's, yeah, there you go. Spooks about the false idea. Derived from Greek paganism, that the soul is good because it is non-material, and the body evil because it is material. Salvation then consists in getting away from the physical as far as possible. 
right? Um, and so some of this happened in the early church with people who sought then to experience God or get in touch. They would go out into the desert. They'd go out into the wilderness, okay? Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, you, you might think John the Baptist, but then Jesus asked the questions, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? You know, and really it was all about the word, nothing you would find within yourself. Because John's message was repent, right? You brood of vipers. You're all a bunch of sinners. But re- repent now and, and believe and trust that, that, that God has plans for you. And oh, by the way, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right, John with his bony, crooked finger. Okay? So, but in the radical perspective of God's word, the body is relatively innocent. The flesh is at its worst, not when illicitly indulging the bodily drives, but when it is most refined, respectable, and religious. Look at that sentence and just reread that and think about that. The flesh is at its worst, not when you're sitting at home with, I don't know, 20 pack of chicken McNuggets and a couple of Budweiser's. I mean, take your pick. I don't, I don't know what floats your boat, okay? For me, it's Chinese food, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I love those MSGs. They're good. Um, yeah, the flesh is at its worst, not when illicitly indulging the bodily drives, when it's most refined, respectable, and religious. So it's important to be pious, but not pietistic. There's a difference. It's important to be pious, to be one of faith, but not pietistic, okay? So when you're pietistic, what are you putting first? Your piety. Got it? What you're doing. When you're pious, you're not focused on yourself. You're focused extranos, outside yourself, right, on Christ and his gifts, okay? So, and for salvation, Christianity points men not to the getting heights of pure thought, But where? Why do we have this hanging in here? Or why did you hang this in here? I mean, I'm the new guy. Why did your pastors and all the people before, why in here? In the fellowship hall of all places. Because this is what your life is about. In all of its wonderful ways. Law and gospel. Everything comes through through Christ. Okay, And not just Christ, but Him who came in flesh and blood. That's what a crucifix teaches us. God in the flesh made manifest, in whom the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. So the battle line between good and evil then runs through every Christian, not around him. And it is a fight to the death. And that's why scripture speaks about the saints rest from their labors. (laughs) What's the labor? I mean, go back to how we started this Bible class. What's the labor? It's the civil war that is going on within you right now. That each of you fight in various ways. Okay? And some of you, you keep a lot of that to yourselves. Your spouse may not even know about it, nor your parents or your pastors. Okay? There's a civil war going on. You know where the battles, or the battles and the battle lines are, okay? but, but it's, it's a fight to the death. Now, the object is not an easy accommodation, but the constant and daily crucifixion of putting to death of the old evil nature. And I think last week I told you about my last associate, Reverend Ben Siebert, who kept a glass of water on his desk and a little, I don't know what it was, a G.I. Joe or a Barbie doll, and he would put it upside down. 
And he would always use it to remind us what the catechism teaches, that we die daily, we drown daily in our baptism. The old Adam in us is drowned by daily contrition and repentance, right? That why? That the new man may arise and show forth now, live forth the wonderful gifts of God, okay? So, so daily, the old Adam in you is being put to death by what God has given you in your baptism and in his word. So it, it, it's a battle. Which is why when you go to bed at night, and remember this with those of you who have little kids, okay? Say the Lord's name. Say the Apostles' Creed. Say the, the Our Father. I mean, there's a lot of prayers you can say. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to... If I should die before I... I pray the Lord my soul to... Yeah, and this I ask for... Jesus' sake, you might know a different version, right? Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little child tonight. Through the darkness be thou near me. Keep me safe till morning light, okay? Um, So why is that important to say prayers with your kids at home or even for you to say prayers? Because the day, if you will, is ending and now you're starting a new day. Nighttime as well is the time of the devil and all his hosts. Did you know that? That's actually from scripture as well. Scripture talks about that, okay? So we arm ourselves before we go to bed. Had some dreams you don't want to tell anybody about? Raise your hand. Don't tell them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, you wake up, did I dream that? Whoa. (laughs) I'm not telling my wife about that one, or my pastor, or my boss. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, that's interesting when you start talking about that. A A guy who's done a lot of good study on the work of the devil upon our sinful flesh um, is, um, oh, not, not just forget his name. Is this what happens when you, okay. Uh, um, uh, Australia, oh my goodness. Kleinig, thank you. How did I forget Pastor Kleinig? Reverend Dr. John Kleinig. Uh, you heard me talk about him before. He wrote commentaries on Leviticus and Hebrews. Uh, which we have to do a Bible study on both those at some point. I just finished that up in Peace Hastings, and I want to do it again. It was so good. Um, and uh, he he's, he's, has done a lot. There, there's an um, organization called Doxology. Raise your hand if you've heard of Doxology. A few of you. Okay. Um, I have, no, I've only hit spotlight conferences, but hold on. I've been going to school, finishing my degree, and doing other things. So at some point, Pastor Grady, you and I need to do some doxology stuff. Um, it's, it's really good. Um, but he talks, he goes into a lot on spiritual warfare. That was probably the most interesting conference I'd ever been to. And it was open to lay people and pastors. Uh, because in catechism, and we deal with, you know, especially, you know, tweeners and teenagers, there's a lot of questions about the this, about this spiritual nature. I mean, you, you turn on Netflix or Hulu... I mean, besides all the LGBT, you know, section of stuff, everything is vampires and demons and, you know, and, and I've watched Supernatural every season, by the way. So some of you have no idea what that means. Uh, some of you younger folks do. Um, so there's a lot of that stuff out there. Um, and it's interesting to see how culture deals with some of that and what God's word has to say about ghosts. Are there friendly ghosts? You know, grandma died. Is she still haunting the house? You know, oh, I hear a tractor putt-putting around. Grandpa must have, uh, you know, pulled the tractor out of the the shed. There's all sorts of stuff, and people will find comfort in that, and they also will be scared out of their pants. 
And God's word has something to say to that. Okay? All right? So when your kids come, they've got night terrors, you know, how do you handle that as a parent? What do you do with it? Where do you go? So, okay? Questions? What do we got? Five minutes? Nothing? Really? Okay. Here we go. Okay. So the object is not an easy accommodation, but the constant and daily crucifixion of putting to death the old evil nature. So in you wages a civil war on a daily basis. All right? Now, now Christ has already won the war for you. Okay? So, you know, you, you'll hear some professors or pastors, maybe they'll put it this way. You know, it's kind of like once we landed on the beaches on D-Day, historians will say the war, at least the Western Front, was effectively over. Right? But what still had to happen from D-Day on? A lot of lives, a lot of blood had to be shed. Okay? But once we gained a beachhead, okay, then, then watch out, Axis, watch out, Hitler, we're coming for you. Uh, and so Christ has already, he, he's already won it. <laughs> the battle still rages with you now, and sometimes that'll, that'll really bother you. you know, and and then, then I would just encourage you to pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Okay, and trust that what he does allow to you through suffering will be for your benefit. Okay. And if you're struggling with that, go back and read our Old Testament text for today with Joseph. That's a good one. So the conflict cannot and accept in total the, the conflict cannot end except in total defeat or in total victory. There may be and there are temporary setbacks for the Christian in this battle. But because Christ has already won the decisive victory over all the powers of hell, Christians, <clears throat> excuse me, can remain confident that they are fighting against a spent force. And that's how you have to look at it. So I don't care what you're dealing with. I mean, if, it, if it's some form of addiction, um, which can come in many and various ways. If you're dealing with, I mean, just fill in the blank. There is precious good news that you need to hear of what God in Christ Jesus has done for you. Okay? Um, and he's given that to all of us. And, and, and also, we, that's how we are to share that with one another. Okay? And that's the primary job of the church, by the way, too. So they can bravely bear the burden of this battle, whatever the cost, in view of the permanent triumph which awaits them. Right? So Paul talks about as a runner, right? My dad was all-American track and field guy back in the day. I obviously did not get any of that. Uh, and so just the concept of racing, Paul talks about reaching forward to, you know, as runners ra run a race to gather the prize that's how you and I are to look at our life, if you will. We're running a race. Sometimes you're walking because you're out of breath and you can't run. And then you start jogging a little bit, you know, and then a dog starts chasing you and you're, ah, you know, sprinting. You know, and then you got to slow down because you're, <laughs> right? So life is a little bit like that. So there's times in your life where you're getting a nice leisurely stroll, holding your wife's hand, downtown Zionsville. Everything is good. And then the kids have a baseball game in Cicero and down in Edgewood. And the other one's up at Grand Park playing basketball. And the other one's got to work over at McAllister. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay, so that's life. Okay? So you, you get those ups and downs. But, but there remains a constant for you. And that's what a Christian clings to. Christ has already run that race. Right? And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he promises he's going to get you through that. And, and man, I don't know about you, but for someone of faith, if that doesn't float your boat, nothing will. 
If that doesn't bring you peace and comfort of what God in Christ has done for you, there isn't anything else. Okay? Let's finish here uh, with, the, with uh, reading this together. So Christians can remain confident. They're fighting against a spent force. They can bravely bear the burden of this battle, whatever the cost, in view of the permanent triumph which awaits them. Therefore, the church sings in the words of St. Bernard of Morlaw. You ready? Brief life is here our portion. Brief sorrow, short-lived care. The life that knows no ending. The tearless life is there. O happy retribution, short toil, eternal rest, for mortals and for sinners, a mansion with the blessed. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.